Hello, and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. Today, we welcome Rosalind Brewer, the CEO of Walgreens Boots Alliance, owner of the retail pharmacy chains Walgreens and Boots, as well as several other multinational pharmaceutical health and beauty companies. Before joining Walgreens Boots Alliance as CEO in March 2021, she was the chief operating officer and group president of Starbucks. Prior to that, she was the president and CEO of Sam's Club, and she earlier held senior executive positions elsewhere at Walmart and at Kimberly Clark. Rosalind is a Detroit native who is a proud graduate of Spelman College and chairs Spelman's Board of Trustees. Over the course of her career, she's continued her education by attending the Wharton School's Advanced Management Program and Director's College at the University of Chicago School of Business, Stanford School of Law. She's held board seats on several publicly held companies, including Amazon, Lockheed Martin, and Molson Coors Brewing Company. Rosalind and her husband, John Brewer Jr., have two children, their son, John III, who's 27, and their daughter, Cameron, who's 18. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Rosalind. <laughs> oh, gosh. Thank you, Carol. So glad to be here. Thanks. Thanks. And thanks for letting me call you Roz, because I know that's how you're also well known. So, so this is a true story. When I began this podcast and I created a wish list of the guests I'd love to have join me, yours was one of the names at the very top of my list. I mean, seriously. <laughs> as, oh, gosh. As the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and having been in the highest ranks of senior leadership at top corporations for many years... I know you've certainly been asked to opine on all sorts of business matters, but I'm thrilled to have you here for a conversation with a different slant to discuss how your life and your work has helped shape your parenting philosophies and vice versa. So let's get started. Yes. I always like to start parenting conversations by talking about how you were parented. Now, I'll tell you what I know. I know you grew up in Detroit. You're the youngest of five and that your parents sent all five of you to college which is incredibly impressive. So my first question is, did you know about your parents' plan to do this from day one? Did they talk about it from when you were really little? Carol, yes. My parents were very adamant about us going to college. They made that very clear to us at very uh, early young ages. I think, Carol, it was um, out of a just pure energy because they did not have the opportunity to go to college. Mm. And they knew they wanted to actually change that tradition in our family. So that's why my siblings and I were the first in our lineage to attend college, first generation. Wow, that is incredibly impressive. So clearly your parents had high aspirations for you guys and high expectations. How did they talk to you about it when you were little? I mean, how did they let you know how they expected you to behave and what they expected you to do? Well, you know, it was a few things. First of all, it was the standards and expectations that they placed on us about our early education. Mm -hmm. And so my parents never pressed us for, you know, did you get an A? You know, what did you learn? Mm -hmm. You know, they just made sure that school was a priority and they also made it a priority. They said, you know, you have to play an instrument and mm -hmm. you need to play a sport. So they were very clear about that. And um, in some form or fashion, we all did all of that. Even if we just checked the box for a couple of months, you know, we all did. I played violin and piano. I ran a little bit of track and uh, was just very um, athletic as, you know, through my years in school. Mm -hmm. So they really raised that expectation. It came out mostly, Carol, in our discipline. And, mm -hmm. you know, when many kids were probably having sleepovers and things like that, mm -hmm. our parents were prioritizing reading and studying. 
And that was our life. You know, when you came home from school, you couldn't do anything else until you until you finish your homework. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it was a major priority in our house household very early on. Wow. Wow. That's that's great. And and for all the parents listening, this concept of making sure that your children do more than just school. I love that they wanted you to do an art and a sport. I mean, I, I definitely grew up playing piano, and uh, but but the sports thing, they didn't push. And that I think that would have been great to have been really encouraged to do sports when you're young. So that is, yes. yeah, that's great. So, so let's talk about your early days in school. You were bright and you weren't afraid to show it. I've heard about uh, a time in elementary school where you were called out for trying to help the teacher with the lesson. Can you, when you, I think it was maybe third grade. So I wonder <laughs> it was. So can you tell what happened and, and how your parents responded? Well, you know, it was, it was as a result of having older brothers and sisters who always helped me with their, with my homework, or mm-hmm. I saw, you know, my brother was three years older than me next in line. And, you know, so he started long division before I did, you know, all of those things. And I always wanted to do what the big kids were doing. So, you know, this is my third grade teacher, Miss Mary, and she's showing us the slow way to do math. And I knew all the shortcuts. So I just thought I would just kind of jump up, grab the chalk and help the you know rest <laughs> of the class figure out how to take a shortcut. And uh, she asked me to sit down and I didn't. And I don't know if you knew this part of the story, but this is at the time where you could get a spanking in school. And so after, you know, I got one of, you know, a little hot, you know, smack on the butt, you know, sit down. I was like, oh, this is different. You know, it was like, no. So I went home and told my dad, you know, I was like, you know, Miss Neri uh, spanked me today. And he was like, oh, so, you know, he, he, but lo and behold, he already knew the school had called him because I had been expelled and I didn't know it. Oh, and so my dad had to come to the school and, you know, he was pretty proud of me. So it wasn't so much where, you know, he got there and he was, you know, blessing out the teacher or, you know, it was, you know, he stood up for me. You know, Uh, he knew I had uh, probably a little bit more advancement because of, you know, interacting with my siblings. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I did. I got expelled third grade. But you know what? I, I, I love that story. Clearly, it didn't hold you down, but I love that story because of the way that your parents reacted. I mean, many parents, particularly those who'd be really concerned about how their children did in school because of their aspirations, might be overly focused on the way the school was reacting. But they were on your side and they understood that you were just trying to share your knowledge. And it sounded like it was a good lesson for you to sort of, to know the value of using your voice. I mean, they didn't shut you down. Right. And I think the other thing, Carol, it was my dad, you know, who came to the school. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I had this, you know, my dad was six, three tall gentleman coming to school and taking up for me. I think that's the, you know, that's mm-hmm. actually sticks with me today. My father defending me, you know, as a young, young child, like mm-hmm. that female child. That's a mighty impression and, and, and a really Absolutely. good one. So, um, okay, so you get through school, you're, you're, you're ready to go to college. You were the, you're the youngest, so you're following all your siblings to college. Your siblings are all in Michigan colleges, but you decide, thanks to your guidance counselor, who is a Spelman alum, Dr. Geneva Carter. And I love that when you tell the story, you say her name, because I think it's so great that we remember the people that influenced us as we were young. So Dr. Yeah. Geneva Carter said... Go to Spelman. And how did your parents react to your decision to leave Michigan to go to college? When I look back on it, I think it was actually tough love for them. Mm-hmm. I don't really think they wanted me to go. 
But at the same time, you know, I was being raised in in Michigan. Things were not, you know, looking as safe mm-hmm. anymore. And actually, the I think one thing played in my favor: the automotive industry was in a downturn at the time. Mm. And then the the other issue I think is that my parents are from the South. And so I think they were a little glorified, like, you're really going to go to the South where we're from. (laughs) So they were like, okay, this could be nice. But it was, (laughs) I think it was begrudgingly because I was the last one. I was the baby and it probably Mm -hmm. signaled a lot of things, but eventually they were okay with it. They drove me to the airport, dropped me off. They didn't come, they didn't come with me my freshman year. I went to school by myself. Mm -hmm. Which was more the norm back then, as I recall. I mean, nowadays it's, it seems that that wouldn't happen. But back in the day, a lot of people showed up on their own. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now I think about what I did for my children and I just shake my head. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> so and we'll get to that for sure. And so, so at Spelman, you found your home. I actually, as I mentioned to you briefly, my father really wanted me to go to Spelman. I have a very fond memories of of seeing it. And and I hold it dearly to my heart because my father really wished for me to go there. Can you talk about what made Spelman such a special place for you? Well, you know, as we all know, you know, it's a private institution, all women, um, historically black college. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just had this immediate connection of being able to look on every side of me and seeing someone like me, but with diverse backgrounds, right? And so I learned the diversity within our African-American culture at Spelman. Mm. And I didn't really understand that there was so much diversity within our culture. I also learned how to be amongst African-American women. And, you know, we can, we hold each other accountable. And they absolutely did. I think, you know, my fellow uh, students and, and, you know, friends in college, they raised me as much as the college did. I learned so much from the people around me. Mm -hmm. But then absolutely, when I got in the classroom, you know, having these professors, the classroom was a small setting, liberal arts college, strong in critical thinking skills, those, you know, basic things that are very important. But then someone who really cared about you graduating and really understanding the coursework and looking at you and saying, okay, do you really understand this, right? Come mm-hmm. see me, come talk to me. And, you know, I, I'll never forget that, you know, those were some just binding relationships for years and years, just to think about the professors I was able to have at Spelman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I've had other guests who have attended HBCUs and 201, they talk about that feeling that you just mentioned of looking around and seeing people who look like them, but understanding that not everyone who looks the same thinks the same or believes the same. And while you kind of knew that intellectually to sort of experience it and to grow from that is is really absolutely tremendous. I should just say all of my father's family graduated from HBCU. So there's a lot in my history. So that, that's oh. great. Yeah. So you get out of Spelman and you get married and you have your first child while you are working for Kimberly Clark. I'm I'm fast forwarding over the very impressive work that you're doing, not because it's not important, but just because I'm focusing on the parenting part. You're a chemist and you you did great things. You're at Kimberly Clark and you have your son. So you'd been there for a while. You'd been there for about 10 years, I think. But what was the initial adjustment that you had to make to working with, with a child? Was it an easy transition? 
Well, you know, it wasn't so easy, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest with you, because I've always had a pretty strenuous travel schedule uh, based on, you know, the, the career that I've had. And I was also in an environment where, you know, you might think, let's see, I was 33, 34. So when I had my my first child and I struggled, you know, telling my office that I was expecting. I was working for a woman at the time. And then when I told her that I was pregnant, I'll be honest with you, she was not mm. happy. So um, I had a critical project at the time and, um, you know, it, it made her, you know, just concerned that we could finish the work. But, you know, we did. But, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on a mm-hmm. new mom. And so I worked uh, very intensely with my first uh, pregnancy and continue to travel. And, you know, we, we made it work. And my husband, John, at the time was a franchisee for General Nutrition Center stores. So we had two stores at the time and he was working retail hours and I was working too and taking care of the baby and did not trust any help. We didn't want a nanny mm-hmm. or anything. So wow. <laughs> uh, we eventually... Yeah, I know. We eventually had to give in. We tried to do too much. Mm-hmm. So Wow. So that was with your first son. And then, and then you had your daughter, Cameron, eight years later. So there was a bit of a, a stretch. And so to, how much had things changed to go from one to two? Yeah. I mean, in, in your work world. and Yeah, at that point, we knew we needed to, you know, apply resources uh, to everything. And, and, you know, quite honestly, at that time, you know, finances were still really mm-hmm. stretched, you know, and I still, you know, empathize with young women with young children because of the cost of daycare is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, we wanted the best for the kids. So, you know, that's where we put our investments. So I, here's the funny thing, Carol, we never went out for like seven or eight years. We never really went on a date or anything. We were like home every Friday night, you know, when we had the, the young mm-hmm. ones, it's like, and just because, you know, we were investing in the kids. And one thing that John and I have complete alignment on is, you know, our, our philosophy on how we wanted to raise the children. We wanted to be present. And so I would work, travel and be at home. And that was it. And uh, so that second child really, you know, put pressure on everything. But we learned how to how to make do because it was probably the most wonderful sacrifice we could ever make. Yeah, absolutely. But but how how certainly it was a sacrifice from your personality. Was it I mean, for example, I'm very extroverted and love to go out. So I definitely made that sacrifice. It was tougher for me because my nature would be to want to be with people. But are you more do you consider yourself more introverted so that it was easier to stay at home? Well, you know, I think I'm an extrovert too, Carol. I would say I love being around people and socializing, you know, which is why this COVID period has been so hard. But I will tell you that I think that's why I felt very fortunate to be able to go to the office. You know, I worked and I think that was my source of engagement. And so when I hear young women saying, I feel guilty about working and leaving the baby, you know, because I was an extrovert, I felt like I was filling that part of me. So then I could come home and still be a great mom Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's nothing like, you know, sacrificing so much that you feel unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know how you feel about this, but I can walk in the door and my kids could feel what I'm feeling, right? You know, I could tell their mood adjust to my mood. And so, you know, a good engagement in the daytime in the workplace and then coming home, I felt like that was my winning formula for me. You know, personally. I am so glad to hear you say that. Really. I mean, this is something that doesn't get said as often as it should. Now, I say this as one who ended up not working outside the home as much as I thought I would over the course of my three children's young days. 
And I really, really thought that it would have been, as much as I felt as if it was great to be able to spend time with them, and I, I treasured that, the ability to leave and sort of stop focusing on your children and focus on something else, remember the world that you inhabited before you had children, and sort of refresh that part of you and get energy and 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 stimulation from that to your point you come home a much more focused person i mean it, really the the old joke is like mommy's not happy no one's happy i mean that's a silly joke but it's true you really and yes. so for everybody who is this is why whenever for the entirety of my parenting life the debate as to whether women should work or not work is a silly conversation to me because it really depends on, there are women that have are wonderful mothers who should not stay home because they, they are wonderful mothers because they can take the time and, and be in the world in, in one way and then be with the children another. So yeah, that is so, so yes. good to hear. So I happen to have talked to another uh, black CEO, Ursula Burns was a guest on my podcast and I've read Indra Nuri's book and, and both of them talk about how much of a reliance they had to have on their partners and the village. I mean, because of the yes. impact of the time of their job. I mean, you guys have big jobs, so it's bigger than normal. Yes. So was this the case for you as well? Did, is there Was there a village? And your husband obviously was a big part of it. Yes. So, you know, we've never lived in a city um, or state where we've had our family around. And we're both from nice sized mm -hmm. families, but we've always lived away from family. So um, at some point, you know, we sacrificed our finances to bring help mm -hmm. into the home. But I will say it did come to a point where we decided, you know, my son was in double sports, my daughter in double sports. And my, you know, we just decided that my career was going to prevail for a while. And my husband took a step back and, you know, came out of the uh, franchising arena and uh, began to do at home work, things like helping other business owners write business mm -hmm. plans, you know, something, you know, very much keeping him engaged and then eventually an invest a small investment mm -hmm. company. Uh, but that was a deliberate decision that mm -hmm. we made to do that. My husband has an MBA in finance and, you know, had every capability to do, you know, as much as I was doing and more, but we made that decision. And so my village really centers around what, you know, the sacrifices mm -hmm. my husband mm -hmm. made. And, you know, it made all the difference, you know, to see how my kids interact with their dad is equally with me. You know, I don't always see those relationships sometimes when the dad is, you know, high job and away from home. It looks like, you know, like they're always just getting to know each other. It, it's not that way. I mean, my, my husband flies out to take my daughter to dinner and they have father daughter dinners all oh. the time. You know, and she's like, dad is coming, you know, she <laughs> leaps on him. You know, it's, you know, so it's really nice to see. I, I think that comes from the sacrifices we made very early on. Wow. Now that's really great. You know, it, it's so true that the even when the load is shared, oftentimes it's the woman who either takes this on herself or has put the burden on to be the one that is the, the fixer, the one that does everything. But it's really great when there's a true partnership where, I mean, your your children have an independent relationship with their father and they see him as their caretaker, just like they see you as their caretaker. So yeah, that that is absolutely great. And then I should say that there's a through line for the women that have achieved the successes that you've achieved, that you really need a partner that can 
be a part of that plan. I mean, otherwise Absolutely. things can't get done. So, so your children are, are now grown, they're young adults. And so you have, yes. you have the benefit. And I love talking about parenting with people whose children are that age. My kids, my youngest is 22, the oldest is 29, because it's the rare moment in parenting where you actually get to look in hindsight and see what worked and what didn't work. I mean, it's a great perspective to have looking backwards. <laughs> It is. So first I want to ask about when you were raising them, how influential was the way that your parents raised you? I mean, they, they'd taken spanking out of schools, thank goodness. And so yes. you didn't have to worry about <laughs> Yes. But did yes. you want to keep as tight a rein because of the way that you've been raised or did you approach it differently? You know, I do see a few similarities. You know, I, um, I too, um, you know, and my husband along with me in this decision felt it was important for the kids to have a team sport. Both kids are naturally athletic. So, you know, when you have kids like that, they're either going to, you know, knock your walls down, break a window <laughs> or something. So you need to put them somewhere with a ball in a field. But, you know, so they were naturally, you know, more equipped than I was growing up. So that was that came a little bit more natural. But then I would say the priority for academics came for us. You know, we decided to prioritize their school. Um, I will say my kids did go to private school, primarily eight through 12. We did public school while we were in Benville, Arkansas for my daughter. But, you know, for the most part, we sacrificed, again, our spending and investments for private school education just because, you know, we wanted to, to raise the academics with them. But the thing that I would say is that my kids are both very traditional. So I think we kept those traditions like it. When I, growing up, we ate dinner together every Sunday, maybe not every day of the week, but every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Uh, my mom, she worked from when I was three on, and but she cooked dinner every day. So I cooked, I believe it or not, if I was in town, I'd cook. I'd cook three or four nights a week. Wow. Um, and I still cook. Even though the kids are gone, I'm throwing, I feel like I'm throwing away a ton of food, <laughs> but I enjoy cooking. <laughs> but, but that was, I think, is because I saw my mother do that. And that was her, I think that was symbolic for the way she expressed her love for us was through her cooking, right? Mm -hmm. She uh, she was sending a strong message, I care about you, I, you know, and that was her thing. And so I still do that. Um, so my kids are very traditional. Holidays and things like that, you can't barely change the menu on them <laughs> or else they're in an uproar, you know? So I think the traditions um, that I grew up with have been translated. And I think the priority for academics is mm -hmm. there for sure. I, wait a minute. I just have to ask about the cooking. I have definitely cooked over my lifetime. I grew up with a mom who loved cooking. I didn't inherit that. So it must be your amazing time management skills that enabled you to cook. Like, would, Did you prep on the weekend? I mean, how? Yeah. So that's interesting you say that because my kids say I'm the queen of the 20 minute meal. Um, <laughs> And so I just kind of organize things. There's, you know, there's just things, staples that I keep in the fridge all the time that I can, you know, maneuver and put together in different ways. And, you know, it doesn't always look pretty, but um, I think it's a great meal, you know. And, uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I would. And I'd, uh, I would cook a full Thanksgiving dinner by myself from when I was probably 25 years old. Wow. So I like to cook. Yeah, yes. no, that, that is very, very impressive. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the show. So, so let me ask you a, a different spin on, on the raising of kids. Now, it's safe to say that I can imagine that your children, they've been raised in a different environment than one that you grew up in. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, as you saw, you and your husband saw, saw corporate success, you know, things got 
nicer, I would imagine, or easier to and yeah. resources yeah. became more plentiful. So how have you managed, and I asked this question of so many people who have seen success as adult in adulthood that, that they didn't grow up with, how have you managed the fact that they've had access to more and more opportunities, but there's more public accountability? I mean, how have you talked to them about this over yes. the years? So, you know, it's interesting, Carol, for a long time, we lived in the suburbs of Atlanta mm -hmm. and in a small community in a relatively modest home. And the quick story here, my son, um, my oldest, college night, 10th or 11th grade, he gets to college night before I do. I get there. He's in this really long line. And I'm like looking all over for him. And my son is in the financial aid line. Mm -hmm. And so I walk up to him and I said, John, what are you doing over here? We need to go start seeing these colleges, right? I'm late. Let's go. Mm -hmm. He was like, He's like, I know what colleges I want to go to. He said, but I don't think we can pay for these. He said, so I'm going to stand over here and you go get the brochures. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, I have been working all this time. <laughs> if I have nothing else, I have your college tuition taken care of. <laughs> but I think, you know, we kept them out of the fray. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're modest children. I don't think they realized it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for some reason, they never realized it. And I think it's been, you know, probably a good strength of theirs. And uh, you, I see it in them to this day. I mean, my, my son's very frugal. You know, um, <laughs> I probably wanted to buy more clothing for my daughter than she wanted to buy for herself. She shops secondhand shops. I, I wouldn't, mm -hmm. uh, but, but she does. That, and that's, that's, her, that's definitely the, the sort of the cool thing, though. I mean, the I, cool I, thing right yeah. now. <laughs> I, yeah, but see, I don't care how cool it is. I can't wear something <laughs> like that, you know. <laughs> you can't wear somebody else's clothes. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> yes, and, and they're not, but the thing is, they don't look clean. And she likes the, the, mang, the mangy looking ones. And I'm like, I don't understand that. But anyway, um, she's, you know, she's, you know, so I think they're, if somehow we've, been able to keep them pretty grounded. Mm -hmm. Wow, that that's just that is great. And then the flip side of that is, as someone who has stayed in the public eye, I mean, certainly uh, uh, representing corporations, but you have as as you have um, excelled in your career, you are called on more and more. I mean, there uh, there's obviously been big things that have happened. You've had to talk about, but I'm sure they're very protective of you, as all children will be of their of their parents. Mm -hmm. How have you talked to them about sort of having to deal with? criticism of you or, you know, sort of yes. being on the a hot seat? Yes. Well, you know, um, you know, my son's in the financial industry. He's very close to, you know, every earnings call I have. I have a nephew that, you know, wants to call me ahead of my earnings calls <laughs> at PwC and give me a once over on what to say on an earnings call. So, you know, they are, they're visible, they're in it, but you know, they're, they're, I have to say they're my biggest fans mm -hmm. and, um, they get angry, you know, when they see things, but we, you know, we all stay off of social media a little bit mm -hmm. uh, because of it. And they don't post a whole lot. And I think right now my son would probably say not too many people know that um, I'm his mother. He doesn't like parade that around, mm -hmm. but you know, it's, it's sometimes it can be hurtful. And then we also have to worry about the safety of our children at the same time, because not everybody's nice out there these days. Right. Absolutely. And I know that in some instances, I, I've heard you talk about instances where there have been uh, your family has felt endangered. And so I'm sure in those moments, they've been all too aware of the downside of sort of being in the public eye. So yes. um, I'm glad that they're able to stay as far away from that as possible. I have to tell you that 
for your son to not make it particularly public, that's a real testament to his character and to yours as as a parent, because, you know, there'd be so many kids that would just want that to be what comes in the door before them. And so good on the I know. <laughs> yeah, I find myself saying, you know, my son is John Brewer. You know, he works at X. You know, I'm bragging about him as a mom. He doesn't brag about me at all. He's just like... Oh, you know, I'm sure he does. He, just, <laughs> he doesn't want you to have to hear it, but <laughs> I'm sure. He yeah, no, I'm, I'm super proud of him, though. Yeah. So so I'm going to ask you the reverse question of a question that's normally asked of women in, in high offices. So usually you get asked about how you balance your work and your home life. But I want to ask a different set of questions about the intersection of these two really important segments of your life. And first of all, before I ask the question, I have to note that of all the, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure all of the women of color who have been Fortune 500 CEOs have been married with children. I mean, it's Ursula and Indra. And I find that fascinating because you might think that with the demands of the job, you, someone who did not have the sort of encumbrances of, you know, other people could could speed up the ladder quicker. Any any thoughts right. on on why that could that might be the case that all of you all have been managed to do this with your families? Yes. You know, my my view on this, Carol, is that, you know, as African American women in particular, you know, we learn to carry and manage a lot at one time. I would say that we are the ultimate multitasker, but at the same time, big thinker, dreamer, aspirational. Mm -hmm you know, individuals and somehow we map it and make it work, right? Mm -hmm. um, we tend to be the fixer in all situations. If you just peel back the family alone, well, I've seen my mom come into some tough situations and I'm like, how are we going to get through in this situation? And, you know, your mom just comes in and fixes the room Absolutely. somehow. And I think we've just been fixing the room for so long that it bleeds over into, you know, the boardrooms that we're in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just, and, and it's not, balancing. We manage, we work it, right? We make it happen, right? And it doesn't happen to us. We try to make it happen. And I think that's the difference in us. It's the way we were raised. It's what we've seen over our lives. It's the roadblocks that have been put in front of us that charge us to want to break through a wall. Mm -hmm. And it's the natural nurturing that we have as, as mothers. Mm -hmm. You know, I think many of us were well nurtured growing up rather, you know, and we know extended family, like I think no other race does, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. Our aunties are our moms are, you know, I have first cousins that I didn't realize were not my siblings until I was like eight years old because <laughs> they were always around. Right. 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 Um, right. And so, um, you know, it's a whole different kind of kind of environment for us. And so I think um, work plus children, we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it, it doesn't, it's not daunting at all. It's like, it's what you do. So yeah, it's what you do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I get that. So I'm going to ask you two different sides of the same question. Do you think any of your corporate leadership skills have helped you on the parenting side? You know, I think so, because, you know, some things happen in my kids' personal lives that I've seen happen, you know, to people that I work with mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. or play out even older in life. Mm -hmm. And so... There's so many lived experiences for me that happen as a mom, that happen as a wife, that happen in the corporate world, that they all come together at some point. Mm -hmm. So I do feel as if I bring some of that with me. Like usually I'm pretty calm under pressure. And so when the, something blows up at home, they're like, and my husband says this to me all the time. He's probably going to hate it if you hear this podcast. He's <laughs> just like, doesn't this matter to you? I'm like, yeah, it does. 
you know? And so I'm like, well, you know, we're going to work through it. We'll reason through it, you know? And mm-hmm. then also too, you know, having been, you know, I'm an, a bit of an analytic, I'm like, okay, what problem are we trying to solve here? You know? And so I get into problem solving and, you know, I think they must hate it, but usually I'm pretty even keel just because, you know, I've seen so yeah. much. I don't come unraveled really easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, though, that, that's great. And and then the, the flip side of that question do your parenting skills help you on the job? Yes, they do. Uh, there's so many adults that act like children, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I always say, I actually said this today to my chief human resources office. I was like, my 18 year old wouldn't do that. <laughs> and so I think I do take it through that lens. But I also, I think what happens when I'm in a situation in the office um, at work I always try to think about, well, what else is happening to this person outside of work? Because I know if I'm not grounded, when I come into the office in the morning, maybe I've had a little tiff with my husband or, you know, the kids lost their shoes or something like that. You know, I always try and think, well, what else could be happening here? Because this is unbelievable. And so I, I do think more about the whole person likely than if, if I did not have the experiences of raising children and being a wife mm-hmm. and a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I constantly think about what else mm-hmm. is going on. Mm-hmm. Now, I know one particular instance in, in your business life where you've talked about this intersection was that the, the most unfortunate um, circumstance when you were at Starbucks where the two gentlemen were arrested at the Starbucks. And, and I've heard you talk about how immediately you thought of your son. And in fact, your son encouraged you to think of him because he told you you had to fix it. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> Yes, he did. He did. You know, that was one where I think my work had actually came off, like Mm -hmm. flew off because, you know, when I was able to see on social media, the two black men getting arrested, black men getting arrested hits me in a different way, Mm -hmm. right? Because Mm -hmm. I immediately almost have an anxiety attack because Mm -hmm. I'm thinking what's going to happen next, right? Will they make it home that night? Did they really do something? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I often doubt, are they really guilty, right? Of whatever they're being arrested for. So when I see that, I immediately just almost grabbed my chest and then to add to it in a Starbucks store. Then I thought about, oh, oh, Roz, you're kind of running Starbucks, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) So like this is happening under your watch. So, I mean, everything I had inside me just came out. Every emotion you could absolutely think of. Mm -hmm. You know, I really, I really worried for those two young men, not so much about how we got to that situation, Mm -hmm. but what was, if we didn't get them out, they stayed in jail till probably 4 a.m. in the morning. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, get them out, get them out, get them out, get them out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we could not get them out of jail, you know, because of the processes Mm -hmm. that were there, but um, that was on my mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I, when I've heard you talk about that, what I've really been impressed by is I mean, to your point about even keel, I mean, clearly you, you've said my son. I mean, I, I looked at these yes. young men and I, and, and you, you, you might've thrown your corporate hat off, but it was nearby and you were able to sort of put it back on in a, in a yes. really good way to talk about the circumstances under how that came to happen, that it was the, yes. the training. It was, it, you didn't point fingers. You didn't sort of join the chorus, but you really took a measured approach to there was mis- there were mistakes made. Let's figure out what they were. Let's look at it in totality, as opposed right. to just sort of staying in the anger and and, yes. and not making progress. I mean, that's right. Course, Those two young men look a lot like my son on a Saturday morning. Probably even a little neater, to be honest. You know, and for them to be arrested, I 
really wanted to understand why, but I immediately felt like something went wrong here and what went wrong. And as you know, someone leading operations at the time, I'm thinking, what did we put in place that made me feel that way? You know, and so we began to peel back and under, try and understand what were our policies. You know, why is a store manager able to, you know, coerce somebody out of the store in that time frame? So I knew we had done something wrong, and you know, could really realize that there's something that you know, we were responsible for, I felt immensely responsible for the incident because our policies and procedures had let us down. There was no reason for, you know, that store manager to ask those two gentlemen to leave within 10 minutes of sitting in the store. That is not our policy. So either there was a training breakdown or wrong leader for that store. And so we had to manage our side Mm -hmm. of things and make it right. And that's when we went into a lot of the work around unconscious bias training and uh, making sure that we were matching the right skill sets to our stores, you know, and, and we did that. Yeah, that. That was great. So one last question before we wrap. You've talked about and you've, you've, you've talked about during this conversation, but also in other conversations about the importance of keeping your cool as you advised young women, particularly as they are seeking professional success. And in fact, in, in a conversation with uh, Dr. Mary Smith Campbell, you talked about emotions down and facts up, <laughs> which I thought was a great, a great thing. Can you just explain how that, how that works for you? That seems like this great mantra for keeping your calm in a crisis. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, um, it's one of those things where, you know, when you get into these jobs at this level, there's a lot that could hit your head and your heart at mm-hmm. the same time and see things that could anger you to no end, right? There, there are disparities, there's unfair work practices, there's comments made. And I think if I were to respond to each one of them way I would, you know, <laughs> let my emotions do, um, it wouldn't be good for anybody, myself or the person on the other side. So, you know, but I, it, you know what, Carol, that came with training and maturity mm-hmm. to make sure that I would, you know, kind of go with head first watch what comes out of my mouth, keep the emotions down, go try and blow off somewhere mm-hmm. else. And I say that a lot to young women because, you know, what I love about this generation we're raising right now, you know, they are natural agitators. And I actually wish I had, you know, a lot of the energy and the, you know, self-esteem to, you know, in terms of the way they organize themselves. But I've been, you know, trying to teach them from a social justice standpoint, how to organize your thinking. If you're going to boycott or picket or protest, there's a way to go with facts first and leave your emotions aside, because I think active protesting is absolutely a fine way to get your ideas across. But I, you know, this, you know, ideas up, emotions Mm -hmm. down is really critical for our young people. They're much smarter than we ever were, Carol, during Mm -hmm. our time. Um, You know, they're exposed to a lot more knowledge. I want to see them apply that knowledge and get the results that they deserve, that they fill in their heart and their chest Mm -hmm. every day. Um, But they've got to bring facts up and emotions down. That is so great. And when I saw that, I actually thought it was a great mantra for parents as well, because often when you're approaching a a problem with your child, if you can keep your emotions down and get the facts first, and as you said, blow off somewhere else, you can actually get to a better answer pretty quickly. (laughs) Exactly. It does play well with parenting. And I think that's where, you know, I probably learned that skill more than anything is, you know, dealing with crisis with, with the kids and with their schools and things like that, you know, you want to be heard. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes when uh, the emotions high, the kids aren't listening, they shut down, fear rises. 
and they're not listening. Mm-hmm. And so to get people to listen, you have to engage and, and calm down right. and people will listen and you'll get the results. Absolutely. Roz, I hate to have it up, wrap it up here, but I'm going to have to. I said, thank you. First, I want to thank you so much. Really, this has been as great as I thought it would be, as I hoped it would be. And I so appreciate your time. And I'm sure the parents everywhere are, are going to appreciate hearing your experiences and your advice. And so there's one more quick thing before we go. And that is if I could ask you to please quickly play the GCP lightning round. I just have four quick questions. What's your favorite poem or saying? Ooh, my favorite poem. Um, I'm a big Langston Hughes mm. fan, so I love Native Son. Is it the, the Mother to Son? The one about uh, Crystal Stair? Yes, Mother yes. to Son. Mother. Yes, that's a great one. Yes. Um, and what are your favorite children's books? Do you have any favorites that you used to read to your kids or that you grew up with? Oh, you know, um, so honestly, my favorite book that I grew up with was Little Women. Oh. And I it, you know, it, I, I know it's, you know, it's Louisa May Alcott, but I loved it just because it showed the crisis in a family, you know, one of the daughters getting sick, but then it was the women coming of mm-hmm. age, right? And so I just really, and I had sisters growing up like that. There were four girls. <laughs> so I just, I, I just love that. Book. I love Little Woman too. Oh, that was one of my favorites. Okay. Two quick questions about mom, momhood. Do you have a mom moment that you would want to do over? I mean, one general one, nothing, nothing deep. This one was recent. Um, My daughter, senior year, applying to college, uh, needed to record her fastest time. She's a sprinter. And I was helping her with her college video for track. And I was timing. She ran her fastest time. I had it recorded. So I thought, and I did not. When she came off of that, she was sweating hot. We were training in Atlanta and she realized I missed the video because I pushed the wrong button on my phone. Oh my gosh, Carol. And I could not get her to run that time again for a while. <laughs> yeah, that was too- yeah, no, tough, but I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's like, you know, right, right. And, and then to, to finish up, give me a moment where you nailed it as a mom. <laughs> oh, let's see. Uh when did I nail it as a mom? That's hard because I, you know, sometimes you never feel like you you can get it right. I think I nailed it as a mom with with my daughter's sixteenth uh, birthday. We had a fantastic fun party that she really loved. It wasn't too; it was appropriately sixteen, and she really enjoyed it. So, and she talks about it all the time. So, I, I think I nailed it. And that one, I was holding my breath for for like a year. But I think we got that. It was her best friend. That is great. And those are moments to savor because like you said, they don't come often. So that's great. So great answers, Roz. Thank you again so much for being with us today. Thank you, Carol. It's been fun. Thank you. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. For more parenting info and advice, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at groundcontrolparenting.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. The Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis podcast is a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartMedia. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.